Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, we want you to turn to uh, Proverbs chapter 20. That's where we have been, as you know, if you're visiting with us. We are coming through the book of Proverbs, verse by verse. Uh, we understand that the, how important the book of Proverbs is and uh, how it has all the principles that we deal with in the issues of life. And we have certainly seen that as we have come through those. You'll remember last week, uh, we again, we looked at some more excellent principles and, and to add to your collection. Uh, and we saw, you know, a little more deeply into some of the things uh, in the doctrinal aspect, that wheel within a wheel, uh, that we showed you how that's the second coming. That's a good piece of information to have if you uh, are a serious Bible student. And, you know, all through Proverbs, I have been uh, uh, challenging you and talking to you about the art of building your library of biblical principles, uh, getting uh, yourself disciplined to use what you know uh, that the Bible tells you to do when you need it. Uh, and that takes discipline. And uh, that's what we've been talking about. Today, we're going to, again, going to look at just one verse. But I think it's a verse that uh, it will open itself up into, if you study it, to one of the greatest studies anywhere in the Bible. And we're going to try to develop it today a little bit. We won't get uh, to the depth that maybe uh, we would if we had more time. But it'll certainly answer a lot of questions for you, uh, an in-depth study. Basically, a study of man. And, uh, and all that God does. I want to look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27. And uh, let's, uh, let's ask, uh, let's read it here. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We ask you now to open up our hearts to give us wisdom and insight into this great uh, book, and in particular, this good verse. We'll thank you and praise you. Forgive us where we failed you and help us to apply all the things that you'd have us to apply in our lives. In Jesus' name, for sake we ask it. Amen. Now, uh, this without a doubt is a key verse in understanding how God made us. Uh, there's great confusion today, uh, you know, uh, on, on how we are uh, and how God made us and, and what really happened to us the day we got saved. All of it, as far as I'm concerned, affects our relationship with God. You know what? You can't understand. You can't have a real relationship, what I call a working relationship, if you don't understand the process by which you got there. And this verse is a key verse to help us understand one of the most completely misunderstood and wrongly taught aspects of of the Bible today: the spirit of man. You know, everybody, everybody, uh, the spirit of man in connection to your body, your soul, and your spirit. Ninety-nine percent of the books and the teachings on the subject. Uh, isn't worth the paper that is written on. You know, everybody's got their opinion. Everybody's got their idea. And you know around here, we're not interested in opinions or ideas. We're interested in what saith the Scriptures. We want to know what the Bible says, getting back to the Bible. Now, starting out, let me just lay a little foundation here. When God created man, God used himself as the perfect pattern. We know that we've seen it from studies before in Proverbs, how that the number three in the Bible always settles the completeness of something. And uh, when God created man, he created him after himself. I've showed you a couple of weeks ago how that God does everything by a pattern. Usually, if not in every case, that pattern will be a system of threes. And it's a thing where when God does something, he has a pattern by which he does it. Understanding God is not hard. Everybody says, oh, God, the deep things of God. How do we understand God? <clears throat> the way you understand God is to learn the patterns by which God does what he does. That's all. When you see the patterns in the Bible, 
you know, that's what God does. God never violates his own principles. He never steps outside his own structure. Learn the structure, you'll learn God. Don't learn the structure, <laughs> you'll never learn anything about, about the Lord. Now, God is a trinity. He's a triune God. Uh, and God is, a God, God is a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit. Now, there's a reason why God did it that way. And I don't have time to get into it, but uh, uh, it's very valuable in time. Maybe on a Thursday night we could, we could look at that and we could see it. But it's, a, it's an incredible thing. But beside that, God is a trinity. He's the Father, He's the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everybody universally accepts that, except Jehovah Witnesses and, you know, who are they anyhow? No big deal. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God created man, here's what He said. God made man out of the dust of the ground, there was His body, and breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, there's His spirit, and man became a living soul. That is the point where God created man. In this case, Adam, in your case, in my case, when, when we were born. God made man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Man now has a body, he has a soul, and he has a spirit. We want to focus on the spirit today, but it does me no good to just focus on the spirit if I don't give you some kind of general application about the other two, the body and the soul. Now, you're going to find that in the Bible... Uh, the Bible uh, talks about four spirits that it lists. And uh, we know that one of them is God's spirit. That'll be the Holy Spirit of God. We know that one of them is the devil's spirit. Those are called unclean spirits in the Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 21 says that animals have spirit. Let me just say something about that. Animals have spirits, but animals don't have souls. When Darwin tried to uh, put together the evolution of man in the the development of the species, he always talked about a missing link. He could not find a missing, he believed or he taught, or he said he did, that man came from animals. But he, 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 could, not, he could not get the missing part that, that was obvious to anybody. So it became the missing link. I mean, birds, birds are the most beautiful singers on the planet. Go out in the morning and drink your coffee and they're going at it and all those things. They sing well but no three birds can sing in three-part harmony. There's something missing. We all love our dogs. We all love our animals. Some of you are cat lovers. I'll pray for you. Some of you, some of you love dogs. Now you're talking. And we, we, have a, we, have a, we have a tendency to humanize our animals. You know how people get killed out in Yellowstone Park and those places out there where it says don't feed the bears? It's real simple. Big old bear comes up. Hey, is there anything cuter than a bear? Yes. <laughs> I mean, they're cuddly. Yeah, they're, 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 they look beautiful. You just want to go up and put your, and you think, because you think he's cute, that he thinks you're cute. You think that you can reason with him, that you're here. Here, have half of my bologna sandwich. And he takes your arm off at the shoulder along with the bologna sandwich. They don't compute. My dogs are this, and I know, you can, you can train dogs, but that's learned behavior. And there are some really smart dogs. I don't have any, but there are some out there. I've never had one, but I've seen some. I've seen some incredible dogs uh, do their thing. But, you know, a dog can't reason. He can't figure it out. Because the missing link between animals and man was the soul. An animal has a spirit, but he has no soul. 
man has a body, soul, and spirit. An animal has a body and a spirit, but he has no soul. That is the disconnect between humans and animals. Darwin can never figure that out. He can never get it. So animals have a spirit. I'm sorry to say, and I'm as sad about this as you are, but your dogs aren't going to go to heaven. They're just not. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they're not. They're not human in any sense that you and I are. Uh, and then the fourth one is man's human spirit. And this will be his drive. This will be his passion. This will be, in some people, uh, the seat of their depression. You'll get depressed and broken in your spirit. You find somebody who's depressed and they can't get out of bed. They don't want to go to work. They don't, everything is gloomy to them. That's in their spirit. That's in their spirit. You find somebody who climbs Mount Everest and you know, he, he's, he's, he's uh, 200 yards from the top and he's dead dog tired and he's out of oxygen and he's got 200 yards to go and he throws everything off and he makes it to the top. That's his spirit. That's the spirit of man that drives somebody. It drives somebody or it, it ruins somebody. And of course, you know, there's four in the Bible. Now let's talk first as we come back into this, let's talk about the day you got saved. And I hope you're all saved here this morning. And that question's a killer of a question to most people. I ask people all the time. It's kind of a test for me to find out where people are at in the Bible. And I wouldn't ask anybody here. I ask it in a general sense. But I ask people all the time, what really happened the day you got saved? And I know the standard terminology answer, well, I was born again. That's not, that's not telling me what happened. That's just another term for what did happen. Well, I was washed in the blood. I appreciate that, but that doesn't tell me. What changed inside you? On one millisecond, you're a sinner hell-bound. The next split second, after confessing of Christ and asking Him into your heart, you're now a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. My question to you is, what changed on the inside? What took you from the darkness to the light? What took you from the dead and trespasses of sin to a new life in Christ Jesus? That's the question. What absolutely happened? What took place? What transpired? And of course, you know, people all the time, they, in the day and age that we live in, they don't study the Bible anymore. It seems like as long as they believe they're, they're saved and on their way to heaven, that's all they care about. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. You, you want to understand this because this is really the key to having a relationship with God. You know, there's people out there, and they're good people, and this is not a criticism of them at all. There's people out there that believe that they can lose their salvation. And I'll tell you, I feel sorry for people like that. I've dealt with them all my life. <clears throat> I understand. I understand how a person can think that and can believe that. But it isn't true. And it's a thing where that goes back to the fact that a person really doesn't understand what happened the day you got saved. If you really understood what actually took place inside you, the moment of salvation in your body, soul, and spirit, you'd never doubt your salvation again. But you see, people don't know. So we get caught up in the unknown thing based on what we don't know. Truth of the matter is, if it's possible for you to lose your salvation, I got some bad news for you. You're going to lose it. There's only one person who could ever keep everything and never let it go, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you right now, I can't keep my salvation. You know why I got saved? Because he had to keep it for me. When David prayed, he says, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He didn't say his salvation. wasn't his. I lose my car keys 20 times a day. I have to have two cell phones just to call the one I can't find so it rings and I can find it. What do you think I would do with my salvation? Same thing you'd do with it. You'd lose it. 
You'd be, all your life, you'd be, oh, I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold on to it. Oh, I'm saved. I'm not going to look there. I'm not going to look here. I'm not going to think this here. I'm not going to think that there. And you have a heart attack, and it puts you in a hospital. And a doctor comes in, and he says, oh, you're going to die. There's nothing we can do. And you're holding there, and you're holding there. And you only got 20 minutes left, but you're going to make it. Because you know if you're sinning, you lose your salvation. You know what happened? When there's 10 seconds left, the devil's going to come into the door, put a wrong thought in your mind, and you're gone. You can't keep it yourself. Somebody has to keep it for you. And the reason he'll keep it for you is what happened the day you got saved. What really took place inside you. That's the question. Uh, when, I mean, uh, uh, what happened with your body, your soul, and your spirit? Now let me talk to you for a minute. When you and I were unsaved, we had a body, soul, and spirit. But here's the difference. Your body, which is your flesh, and your soul, which is eternal, they're stuck together. That's why the Bible says in the Old Testament, the soul that sinneth it shall die. Somebody says, how can the soul sin? Because it's stuck to the flesh. And what happened was, in an, old, in an, in a, in a, uh, in an unsaved state, you have a body, soul, and a spirit, but your flesh and your body and your soul are stuck together. And the spirit you have is a dead spirit. You're alive. You have the breath of life but your spirit is dead to the things of God. It, it can't understand spiritual things. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit of God comes in and the Bible says He quickens you. That's a good word in the Bible. Wherever you find the word quicken, you always want to watch it because it's probably in most cases going to deal with your salvation. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, He says, Ye and you hath He quickened, who were dead in trespasses of sin, See, you're dead in your sins. He quickened us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The Bible says the day you got saved, the instant of your salvation. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 says, There's an operation of God made without hands. God's Holy Spirit comes in, and separates your body, your flesh, from your soul. And he separates them to the part that they'll never get back together again. And then the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, and again in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed under the day of redemption. He not only separates the two, now he seals your soul with his spirit, and the two can't ever get back together. Now, We've all heard about the old nature and the new nature. Romans chapter 7, Paul says, The things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I shouldn't do, I do, and all those things. Okay, that's when you get your old sin nature. Now you're separated. Now you have a new nature, that's your soul, sealed with the promises of God's Word. And then you have your flesh, which is going to be your problems and my problems all of our lives. But now you're two, you're two people. You have an old man and a new man, as Paul calls it. You have a, you're a schizo. You have an old nature and a new nature. And that's what happened the day that you got saved, instantaneously. He separates the two. There's a term I want you to remember when it comes to your salvation as a, as a, as a, as a Christian. Sealed and separated. Sealed and separated. He separated you and then he sealed you. And you can't, that's why the Bible says you're, once you're over there in 1 John 3, the, uh, he that is born of God does not commit sin. 
It's not talking about your flesh. It's talking about your soul. Your soul is sealed. Your soul cannot sin. Now, your flesh is another problem. But that happened the day you got saved. He separates the two. They can never get together again. He seals your soul with His, with his Holy Spirit. Now, when all this takes place, along with that, in that instantaneous part of salvation, He gives life to your spirit. Your spirit now comes alive. And this is what we're talking about is the verse here. We're going to get into it in a moment. The candle of the Lord. Now, most people don't know this, but after salvation, uh, your spirit, even though it's come alive, your spirit is not sinless. This is very important that you understand this. Your soul cannot sin. It's separated and sealed. But your spirit, your spirit is not saved. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness, here it comes, of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, the Bible definition of, of your spirit will be what we call generally, in our own terminology, your mind. Your mind. What you think. Your spirit is in direct relationship to not only what you think, but the choices you make. You see, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 and 20, 22 and 23 says that you put off concerning the former conversations of the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed and be renewed and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Your man's spirit is his mind. It's what he thinks. Before you were saved, before you were saved all you could do is think of corrupt things, wrong things, terrible things. The moment you get saved, you're separated from your soul and your flesh and your spirit comes alive, now your spirit has the ability to commune with God's spirit, and you have the ability now to make right choices. If you want to. If you want to. Romans chapter 2, verse 2 says that we're to renew this mind daily. Every morning when you get up is a renewal of your spirit to God's spirit that you're going to do what God wants you to do. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says that you and I are to have a sound mind. We get a sound mind based on sound doctrine, the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 talks about girding up the loins of your mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says that we have the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, uh, 15 uh, verse 5 talks about let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. It's simply saying this. Once you get saved and God separates your soul from your, your flesh and He, he lighted your spirit, he, he illuminates your spirit, He gives life to your spirit, at that point in time, you now have the ability to fellowship with God through your spirit. His spirit bears witness with your spirit that we are the sons of God. Now that spirit will be man's free will to choose. I want you to understand that. John Calvin had it completely wrong. Calvin taught that, that, uh, that man doesn't have a free will. That man is predestined to go to heaven or hell. John Calvin had probably been in 1,500 years, been in hell. He probably figured it out that wasn't true by now, if he believed what he taught. But it, it, you have a free will. And that free will is your mind, and that mind is your spirit. And you'll make a good choice or a bad choice simply based on what spirit you align your spirit with. 
not hard. And our verse says that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. The light that God looks inside you and me before we're saved and begins to search us out. I note it's a candle. It's not a search light. It's a candle. You know why? Because when you and I were lost and God wanted to save you, because God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, when He first touched your spirit, and the spirit is the contact point with God to man, He used a candle. In other words, just enough light for you to see your need for Christ. He wasn't worried about teaching you about predestination or amillennialism or postmillennialism. He wasn't at that point worried about the great doctrines of the Bible. He's dealing with the number one issue that has to be the first issue that God deals with man on when He touches His Spirit, and that is where are you going to spend eternity? So it's just a candle. Just enough to show you and me that I need Christ. Just enough to get me to look inside and know it doesn't look very good. To get him to examine, to convict him, to get him to look inside himself, to get him to examine my thoughts, my motives, my intentions, to get me to see if I'm going to really be honest with myself when it comes with my relationship with God. And that candle of the Lord that touches man's spirit is just enough light to show that man his need for salvation. But now the spirit in an unsaved man will be dead to those things. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. His spirit is dead. He can't comprehend. He cannot, an unsaved man in his spirit cannot comprehend God. He cannot comprehend holiness. He cannot comprehend justice. He can't comprehend God's judgment. He can't understand and comprehend God's faith or grace or love or mercy. He certainly can't comprehend the Bible. He might think that it's a good book. He might think religion is okay. But he says, when he gets into spiritual things, he has no ability to discern anything about God because his spirit is dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. What a great verse. Now we have, been, we have received not the spirit of the world but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You see that? That's what the Spirit of God does with your spirit. When He illuminates and touches that spirit of man as a candle, He begins the process of illuminating in your life and my life spiritual things, that we now can understand things that we couldn't see them before. And it starts with your salvation. I don't know if you know this or not, and I don't know what your spiritual condition is here this morning, but I can tell you this. Your greatest need and your greatest thing that you need to take care of, number one, before you do anything else in your spiritual life, is your salvation. Knowing for sure you're saved. Knowing for sure that you belong to Him, that 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 transformation has taken place in your life from darkness to light. And, uh, you know, and uh, he reveals those things through the spirit of man. Bible says, you know, we hear people all the time, well, you know, what about the heathen in Africa? And I get questions from time to time, you know, on the Internet, somebody will send them to me, or even in Bible study once in a while. What about the person in Africa? What about the person, what about the heathen in Africa, you know, or over there in the, in the central basin of South America that they've never, never, never heard 
They ever heard the gospel. We hear it all the time. You see, that's because you think that God's got to do it over there like he does over here. That shows great misunderstanding of God. My Bible says, my Bible says in, in John chapter 1, verse 9, that he was the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now, I don't understand how God does it in South America, in the, in the, in the Amazon basin, or how he does it in the deepest part of Africa, or with the aborigines down in Australia. I, I don't know how he does it, but I know this, the Bible says he does it. And when he does it, it's the light of God as a candle touching that man's spirit, or woman's spirit. And based on when his spirit is at, that man... That man will either move toward God or he'll move away from God. The spirit of man is like a rudder of a ship. You can have an aircraft carrier that's 40 blocks long and he'll have a rudder that is one thousandth of the size at the end of that ship on the bottom and yet that rudder turning to the left, the ship's the ship one way, turn it the other way, goes the other way. That little rudder sets the direction of that big boat and your spirit will set the direction where you go in life. This is why we've talked about it all the time. This is why association, who you hang out with, is a very dangerous thing for you. You hang out with somebody who's got a bad spirit, you know what? You're going to get a bad spirit. Spirits are infectious. They'll get into your world. You've got to be very careful what you put your spirit to. And you know what? When, uh, you, uh, when you, music is another, another damaging thing. Music ministers to your spirit. And minister, you put the wrong music to your spirit, you're going to go the wrong way in life. You put the right music to your spirit, you're going to go the right way in life. You put the wrong people in your life with bad spirits, saved or lost, you're going to go the wrong way. How can two walk together except they be agreed? You can't. That's why the Bible says that we're to try the spirits, 1 John. Before you line yourself up to somebody or some group or, or whatever at work or wherever it is, even other Christians, try those spirits to see if it lines up to the book. <clears throat> of course, that means you've got to know the book first. Now, all men have the same human spirit. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, that God is the Father of spirits. They all come from Him, the breath of life. And when you go, die, the spirits go back. That'll be Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. And when a man gets saved and yields his spirit to God's spirit, then immediately, it starts out as a candle, but then immediately he begins to get the understanding of the things of God that when he comes to church, somebody sits down and disciples him, where before it didn't make any sense, now it makes total sense. I, I remember... When I first got right with God some uh, long, long, long time ago, I used to watch guys preach, and I'd hear people go to Bible studies, and they'd talk about the Bible, and they knew the Bible. I knew nothing about the Bible. But I knew enough to know that I needed to get right with God. That's all I knew. But I envied those who knew the Bible. And the same process that God brought me through is the same process that God will bring you through. Because when you... Understand, once you're saved, your spirit now is alive, and it is the rudder of your ship that's going to send you one place or the other by who you hang out with, by what you read, by what you listen to, by what you do, where you go. When you line God's spirit up to your spirit, 
then the Lord begins to, he begins to reveal Christ to you. Obviously, he regenerates you. He opens up your spiritual eyes. He'll guide you. When you got saved, he sealed you with the spirit of promise. The promises are all the promises in the word of God that he put in Christ that now are yours. And he'll lead you into all truth. And when he doesn't, when he hangs out or she hangs out with the mixed multitude, you hang out with people who never win anybody to Christ, don't care about the Bible, all they care about is themselves, and they put their, and all those things. The Bible says that when you lend your spirit to that, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 2, and 3, talks about the vexation of your spirit. You vex it. Curse it. Now, this is the key point, and I've talked about this many, many times. When Christ went back to heaven, God is ready to start the church age. Church age is already in process. It's beginning to be revealed through Paul. He goes back to heaven in Acts chapter 1 and 2. And when he went back to heaven, and I'm sure I've talked about this before, you'll, you'll, somebody, but be new to many of you. When, he goes back to, when Christ went back to heaven, God replaced his son with three things for you and for me. And the first thing that he replaced himself with was the Holy Spirit of God. That came at the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit of God is going to guide you. The second thing he replaced himself with was the Word of God. The Word of God is going to instruct you. And the third thing he replaced himself with was the New Testament local church. That's going to establish you. And God put those three things on this earth when he took his son off. And they all deal with your spirit. The Holy Spirit of God will guide you in the spirit. The Word of God will instruct you in the spirit. And the local New Testament church, if it's doing its job, will establish you in your spirit. I can't ever establish your flesh in the things of God. I can't. I can't. Your flesh is inherently corrupt. So is mine. The Bible says inside your flesh draws no good thing. Now you say, well, I don't know. I'm going out to past tracks this afternoon. That's because you're taking a corrupt old thing and, and beating it with a whip to make it do that. It just be soon be, be out there partying someplace, going to the boat, putting that one hand guy down, you know, to win all the money. Of course, you don't do that anymore. You know, you just put your card in. I was surprised the other night when I was there. I didn't need to pull the handle anymore. Just the card right there. I can't, I can't get, I can't change your flesh. Your flesh, my flesh is going to be corrupt. The only thing that I can change about you, I can't change your soul. It's sealed. The only thing I can change about you is which way you go in life. And I have to go after your spirit. When I preach to you on Sunday morning, I'm not preaching to your flesh. Your flesh isn't listening. I could preach all day long to your flesh. wouldn't change a thing. And I can't preach to your soul. It's sealed. It's got all the promises. I only got one thing I go after when I preach. It's your spirit. You know, the people, the people come in, you can tell. I mean, you can tell God's people uh, by, by their countenance. Back in the Old Testament, you know, Cain and Abel, they brought two offerings, and what God accepted Abel, they did in Cain's, and, and uh, the Lord comes down, and the Bible says Cain was mad, he was wroth, and the Lord shows up and he says, why hast thou countenance fallen? He showed on his face, his spirit was wounded. And when you get a bad spirit, it shows. It does, it is true. Yeah, you're okay, you're right. But I've got to watch it, I'm watching you. It does. I, I watch people come in, you know, and the, I don't know where it's at, but you don't have the joy, 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 joy down in your heart. 
And I'll tell you, the things of God don't excite you anymore. Bible study don't excite you anymore. You don't study your Bible anymore. Your spirit's changed. Now, your spirit has went this way, so your flesh is going to go with it. Where your spirit goes the other way, even though your flesh is inherently corrupt. Inherently corrupt. You can mortify your flesh, and your flesh can do things for God, even though it's going back down in the ground and it's corrupt. It's your spirit. It's the spirit of man. It's the spirit that you have. It's just that simple. Now look over at John chapter 16. Now this is the definitive chapter in the Bible on the Holy Spirit of God. And I want you to understand this because this will give you everything about the Holy Spirit of God you ever wanted to know or maybe didn't want to know. This is the definitive chapter on the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. Seven things the Holy Spirit of God does for you and for me. And they're all through my spirit to his spirit. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 7, 15, covers before salvation and then after salvation. Let's read it. Pick it up in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. That's the Holy Spirit of God. One of the things that he replaced himself with. When he has come, now here it is. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it? When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall uh, hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He, will, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I uh, that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. Now, I'm going to give you seven things that it does. And you want to mark these in here if you don't have them already. The first three are all found in verse 8. And they take place before you got saved. The first thing he says is he's going to reprove the world of sin. He's going to show the world that they're sinners. The second thing is he's going, to show the world, he's going to show the world of righteousness. Of righteousness. He's going to, in other words, he's going to put the counterbalance to the sin, showing them that the counterbalance to sin is Jesus Christ, God's righteousness. And then the third thing he's going to do, he says, because there's sin and because there's righteousness, there's a judgment coming. See that thing? That's what he showed me. That's, what, that's, when, the, that's when the candle of the Lord first illuminated me and you. Those are the three things he showed us. He showed me that, that, uh, that, uh, uh, that the world is sinful. He showed me that Christ is the only answer. And he showed me if I didn't trust him, I'm going to die and go to hell. Now, after I got saved, here's the other four things he does. Verse 13, now he's going to guide me to all truth. I'm going to get all truth. Not just some of it, all of it. Not just enough to get me by, all truth. I tell people, you come to, come to Bible study or talk to me or whatever, want to build a relationship and learn the Word of God. I simply say, you can have all of me, you stick and stand. Yeah. You can have all of the Bible, you can stand. But you're going to get all of the Bible. Verse 13 says, the next thing is, you're going to show your prophecy. That's things to come. 
Verse 14 says that his main goal is going to glorify Christ. The Holy Spirit of God never, never seeks any glory for himself. He glorifies Christ. That's why when a person is really saved and they're really on fire with God, they don't look around for the glory of themselves. They always want the glory to go to Christ. See? Little things you learn. And then the seventh thing, verse 15, he, he shows you what, what's of God and what's not. Because he knows, he knows that how crucial your spirit is and how that when you put your spirit left or right, you're going to go left or right. Now all this will transpire through man's spirit as he builds his relationship with God's spirit. Spirit to spirit, as the Bible says, God's spirit bearing witness with my spirit. Witness of the spirit. The spirit of man will be his mind. And that mind is a free will to make choices. When a man lends his human spirit to the Spirit of God, the things of God, he will make the right choices. It's just that simple. He'll make good choices because it's based on good counsel, good advice that he gets from God, the Word of God. The principles of God's Word, the promises of God's Word will be the things that God uses to keep our spirit with His Spirit. And again, I say it again, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all flesh of the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It's the promises, the principles that you cleanse yourself with. Now man has the ability to make the right choices or he has the ability to continue to make wrong choices. The rudder of the ship, his spirit, whichever one he lends it to. Last week I talked about your Christian life being a journey, like going to St. Louis, three and a half hours. But some people, it'll take 20 years to get there because they keep getting off the side exits where the places they ought to have the party time. And they never get to the dest final destination where God wants them to be, spiritual maturity. Now, an unsaved man has no light. He, he, because he has no light, he can't see the traps and the ensnares that the devil puts for him, so he fails. The Christian who has the light Inside him, who refuses or forsakes the light and never grows to a place where he, he uses the light of God, he will also fail, or she will also fail. The light being the principles that he leads us through uh, by our spirit. Psalms 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, light unto my path. It's the principles. And then he says in the second part of our original verse here, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now, that's when the Holy Spirit of God, that, the belly in the Bible is your emotions. And the greatest way I can illustrate that, you can be, be bopping around and having a great time, looking to have a great meal on the grill, and you can be all excited and a great day, and you get one phone call, and you're sick to your stomach, you don't want to eat, and you can't sleep, and you're a mess. That's your emotions. That's why it's called the belly. The belly's deep-seated. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, for the word of God is quick, quickened and powerful, and more sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing of thunder of the soul and the spirit and of the joints of the marrow, and the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto him that the eyes we have to do. He's, everything is open to him. He sees everything. You know why? Because he searches us through the spirit. He does that through the spirit of man. And now an unsaved man, he has a conscience. See? An unsaved man will have a conscience based on Romans chapter 2. Bible says that the Word of God is written on the tables of our heart. That forms man's conscience. 
So an unsaved man, he'll, get, he'll have a conscience about what he does, but he'll never have conviction about what he does. You've got to understand the difference. He'll have a conscience about it, but he can't be convicted about it because conviction comes from the Holy Spirit of God. Now, after you get saved, you still have a conscience, but you have something else added. Now you have conviction. Conviction is when the Holy Spirit of God, you grieve Him, and He convicts you because you violated the principles. An unsaved man doesn't have that. He's got a conscience, but he doesn't have any conviction because conviction is based on the Word of God. The Holy Spirit of God bears witness with His Spirit that we are the sons of God, Romans 8, 16. Now the light of God starts out as a candle, like we saw, Proverbs 20, 27. Uh, and in the case, just so you missed this or not, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, it talks about the seven churches that make up the New Testament church. It's like into a candle. In other words, God's Spirit works through the New Testament local church. That's His design. And where the light to man will start out as a candle, salvation and the basic things that you need, in time, once you get saved, once you get the Holy Spirit of God, and John 16 goes into your world, and that light begins to develop, that light will turn into a searchlight. In two aspects. It'll turn into a gigantic searchlight for you inwardly, and it'll turn out as a searchlight outwardly for people who are looking for the truth. For the man personally, when you get your life completely turned over to the Lord and His Word, the light of the Holy Spirit of God is so large and bright, uh, it searches out every bit of darkness that we have in our hearts. It's like going into your dark house at night and it's pitch black dark and you walk into the kitchen and you got this humongous bright light in the kitchen but it's dark in there and you turn that light on. All the darkness is gone. Darkness cannot stand in the presence of light. And the reason why you and I get out of fellowship with God and our spirit is because that we don't have the light of God's Word searching us. Therefore, the darkness maintains itself. Now, some of your homes, probably none of these homes here, but there are homes in Kansas City that if you went into there and the kitchen was dark and you turned the light on, not only would the darkness flee, but so would the cockroaches. So would the bugs. Bugs don't like light either. They scatter everywhere. And I was thirsting to say that we all got some bugs in our life that will scatter when the lights come on. You see, the light and the darkness are two great concepts in the Bible at different ends of the spectrum. The Bible says that God is light, the devil is darkness, the world is darkness. God's people are light, children of light. The unsaved people are children of darkness. In Psalms chapter 19, verse 6, it's, it's a great passage on a reference to God's Holy Spirit. It says, His going forth is from the end of heaven unto the circuits under the ends of the earth, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Now, he's talking about, in that context, he's talking about the sun as we know it up in the sky. And if you know, again, the sun is a great picture in the Bible, Psalms 119, Psalms 33, many places, a great picture. It's one of the patterns when God made the sun, he made it after himself. In the Bible, the sun is a type of God the Father. The moon is a type of the church, Job chapter 25. The moon doesn't reflect its own light. It reflects the light of the sun. You don't reflect your own light. You reflect the light from the sun. When the world comes in between the sun and the moon, there's an eclipse, and the light goes out on the moon. Science says, what a great scientific phenomenon. No, that's a picture of your life and my life. When the world comes in between me and you and the sun, your light goes out. The sun gives off three types of rays. You might know that. 
X-rays, type of God the Father, are invisible. Light rays, you can see them, type of Jesus Christ, the visible appearance of the invisible God, and heat rays, type of the Holy Spirit of God. You can't see it, but you can feel it. And that Bible says that Holy Spirit of God moves up and down, and there's nothing hid, nothing hid, nothing hid, nothing hid. Hey, you may be sitting here this morning, and you may be a million miles out of fellowship with God, but I'm going to tell you something right now. You may be sitting there with that plastic smile on your face, and you may be sitting there pretending to your friends everything is fine, but deep down inside, that Holy Spirit of God is knocking on your door. It's okay. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. He knocks on my door all the time. My advice to you is answer the door. I was preaching one time, and I was preaching out there that, you know, if you're of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father used to do, and I was preaching, and I said, you know what? If you're unsaved here this morning, your spiritual family name is the devil. I said, your, name is the, your family name is the devil if you're unsaved here this morning, John 8, 44. Afterwards, a lady came up, put her finger in my face. She says, I'm really offended by what you said, as you said that, 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 that my, 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 my family, my spiritual family is the devil. She said, I really took offense to that. I said, I did too, ma'am. I said, I did too. I heard that a long time ago, and I got upset, and I got offended. You know what I did? I changed families. Why don't you do the same thing? She didn't want to change families. Nothing hid from the heat thereof. Boy. The searching of man in her belly, his emotions, his feelings, his thoughts, it will bring about conviction. The more light, the more Bible you have, the greater the conviction. I watch it in your lives. Some of you, when you came in here, you had terrible issues in your life. And those were your struggles. And I remember so many of you, you fought it for a long time before you got the victory over it. And that was five, six, seven years ago. And, uh, you know, and, and now today, five, six, seven years later, you know, you're way past that point in your life. You're past those things. But you know what? You know what you struggle over today with the same intensity that you struggled way back then? You struggle now that you don't get in your Bible enough. You struggle now that you don't pray enough that you should. With the same intensity way back then. You know what's happened? That candle turned into a searchlight. And the brighter it got, the more you saw the imperfections in your life. And where at one time they were glaring and everybody could see them, now you got it down to a good science and you got a great relationship, but that searchlight shows you now the real little issues you need to work on. The perfecting things. That's how it works. Some of God's people have been saved 5, 10, 15 years, they're still struggling with the same major issues they had when they walked in. That thing's still a candle. Turn on the lights, man. For others, the brightness of God's light within you, searching you out, the brighter it will be outwardly to others in darkness who are also searching for light. In other words, what I'm saying is this. You will be for God outwardly, will be always based on what you win for God inwardly. When the light is on in your life with great intensity inwardly, it will shine outwardly. Three-point outline for the Christian. You can use it in a devotion. Every Christian ought to be Godward first, inward second, outward thirdly. 
When you get with God word, you get the light, you take it inwardly, and then you give that light outwardly. I've said many times, the Bible is the only book in the world. The only book in the world. The most supernatural book the world has ever seen. The only book in the world, when you start to read it, it starts to read you. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6, one of the great passages in all the Bible for understanding, Holy Spirit of God searching it out. He says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsetting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path, my lying down. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. You know what I can't get? I can't get why God wants anything in the world to do with me. And the second thing I wonder, why he wants anything to do with you. No, you're first. I'm second. Back Exodus chapter 34. You don't have to turn to it. Back in Exodus chapter 34, Moses was up on the mountain with God, remember, for 40 days? When he came down, his face was lighted up. It shined. I mean, the people looking at Mount Sinai up there, and somebody's coming over to the guys and they say, there's a light up there in that mountain. Man, that thing is moving. Why? Well, it's coming this way. Must be Bigfoot or something. You better get some spears or something there. And they got a little closer. Somebody said, man, it's Moses. He'd been with God. You know what? You can't be with God if your face doesn't shine. I'm just telling you. You cannot be with God and have His light on the inside that doesn't radiate through your face on the outside. It's just that simple. And you know what happened when Moses got down to the people? They were afraid of him. They were so afraid of him that he had to put a veil on his face because the light was scaring him. I want to tell you something, and you better learn from this. When you've been with God and you get the light inwardly and it shines through your face, not everybody's going to be happy with it. You're scare some people. You Bible fanatic, you. Slow it down. I had a woman one time, this has been years ago, she brought her son into me who was into drugs and getting into all kinds of problems, and, and he was just a mess. And she said, I need to do something with him. He said, he's just, he's just, he's into everything, and I just don't want to know what I'm going to do. So I took the kid. He's a nice kid. I worked with that kid, got him involved, got that kid coming to church every time we were doing something, got him in the Bible, got him this, got him that. Then his mom called me up one day and said, she was mad at me because she says, well, you, you've ruined my son. He's, 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 he's a fanatic. He's overdosing on the Bible. I said, would you rather have him overdose on the other stuff? I mean, honestly, guys, if you're going to overdose on something, my suggestion would be the Bible. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians there that they were addicted to the ministry. You want a good addiction? Try the ministry. <laughs> and for you timid Christians, you can shoot up between your toes. I don't care how you do it, just get out there and do it. I always wanted to go to a, I, I, I actually did years ago, I went to a, 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 a Narcotics Anonymous uh, meeting. I wanted to learn about it. I went to an AA too. And they all get up and they say the same thing. Hi, my name is Bob and I'm an alcoholic. And I, and I went to uh, Narcotics Anonymous and I, just to, I wanted to learn the program. I wanted to know if I'm dealing with people all the time. So, uh, or, hi, my name is Joe and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an addict. 
And so they say, we have a visitor tonight, Bob Alexander. Bob, would, uh, what would you like to say? And I say, hi, my name is Bob, and I'm, an, I'm addicted. I'm an addict. And she says, what's your addiction? I said, the Word of God, the Lord Jesus. And it took about 10 minutes before they threw me out, and I said, you know what? The real addiction you have is not the problem. The real addiction you need is the one I got, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And you would think a place like that would be happy with that. Just trying to help. <laughs> but that Moses came down and his face was shining and your face will shine. And the people were afraid of him. And I'll tell you something else. Verse 29, if you come down through there, he was oblivious to it. He's walking around saying, well, what are all these people running from? These little kids are crying. I'm just Moses. Somebody says, Moses, your face is really shining. He says, no, I didn't shine it. He says, go look in it. I don't think they had mirrors back then. Go look in the, go look in the water. Wow! <laughs> you know what that tells me? When you're really on fire for God, real true spirituality, you don't know it. But everybody else knows it. I'm very, I'm very skeptical of guys and people who walk around proclaiming how spiritual they are. I'll proclaim to you how spiritual I ain't. But when you're really, 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 really at your best, you don't know it. And he does that so no flesh can glorify in his presence. That he gets the glory for it. And I, I, I was really bad a couple of weeks ago. I had a terrible migraine. My eyes were, couldn't see and all like that. And I'm thinking all morning, I don't want to go here and preach. I said, how am I going to do that? I'm going to make an absolute fool out of myself. I'm going to fall over. I'm going to trip over things. I'm going to say, hi, hi, Tom. Good to see you. And I'm gonna, I can't even see and I got up and I just preached, the Lord blessed me, you know, and I, I must have had 50 people say, you know, that was the best sermon I ever heard. Well, praise the Lord, I'm glad. But I sure hope I don't have to do that every week. I just give him the honor and glory and just be well. But you, you're at, we're at our best when we're at our weakest. You know, I guarantee you, we get to the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be a lot of things that we lost there simply because we were too strong. Somebody says, I'm weak. That's a good thing. Two things you got to be to be a Christian. One of them is stupid, the other one is weak. He didn't know it. Now all these things will start with one in our verse today, man's spirit as a candle. The point of contact. And it will grow to a bright light that searches us out first and reveals what's wrong with us on the inside and then move out to others through the glow in your face, your countenance. The inner light of God through your spirit that you cannot hide. Bible says, if any man love God, the same is known to him. 1 Corinthians 8, 3. And you know why? It's because of your face, your spirit. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5 says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts and shall every man have praise of God. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse, uh, or 4, verses 4 through 7, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servant for Jesus' sake 
For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of God may be not of us. It's inside you. Starts out as a candle showing you what you need for salvation. And then it develops as you move, that light gets greater. And then it goes, shows you inside you. And then it goes to others. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light. Light in the Lord. Walk as Christians of light. Children of light. Walk as children of light. So, let's just leave you with ten things here we talked about today, very quickly. Put it all together for you. One, you have a body, soul, and spirit. Two, each one has a specific function, but they all work together. Your spirit, Proverbs 20, verse 27, is the contact point of God touching you with His light. When you get the light of that candle, it will reveal just enough about you and God that you need to be saved. You either will move toward God in salvation or you will move away from God. When a man gets saved, that candle intensifies to a light that will search out every aspect of his life through his spirit. Now the Spirit of God will lend and, and lead and guide you, your spirit, to all truth. You are told to try the spirits to see if they be a God so you don't line up with the wrong spirit because your spirit is like the rudder of a ship and you will go whatever direction you lend your spirit to. Your spirit sins and needs to be cleansed every day by the promises and the principles of the Word of God. Who or whatever you lend your spirit to you will become. When you lend it to the Lord, you'll become Christ-like. When you lend it to the world or somebody who's got a bad spirit, you become like them. The greatest example of that is Saul, who had a spirit of the Lord, but then an evil spirit from the de devil came to him. And he goes back and forth. And what happened? When he got that evil spirit, he called for David. David was God's man. David loved God. And what did he ask David to do? He asked him to play him the hymns, the psalms that David had put together in glorifying God. And when he did that, the evil spirit went away. You see, it's all about your spirit, who you're going to lend it to. Starting out at that point before you were saved, just as a candle, just showing you and me the inward parts of my belly, your belly, our emotions, what we needed. We gravitate to that. We, we accept that. We take that in and we move toward the things of God. And then God opens up that light. He gives us the light to look inside us. You know, I talked about the moon uh, becoming a, uh, being a type of the Christian. And it doesn't shine by its own light. Job 25.5, it reflects the light of the sun. You know, the moon's an incredible thing. It reminds me in every way, shape, or form like you and me. You go out at night and you look at the moon when it's big and full. And it's beautiful, bright. It just casts a shadow on this earth. It's incredible. But you know, if you take a telescope and you, you put it on the moon and you'd put about 50 power in it and bring it 50 times closer, uh, you'd see that, that uh, you, it'd begin to develop. You put about 200, 300 power on that telescope and you're going to look at the moon and you're going to see craters, rills, rips, tears. It's the most chaotic thing you ever saw in your life. But you can't see it as you look back, because the light of the sun covers all those things. You've got to get real down inside to see the real damage that's done to that moon. It's a lot like your life and my life. 
we all, if we look deep inside, we all got some cracks and some crevices and some craters, don't we? Thank God that the, when you look at you now, you don't see those things. You know why? Because the light from the glorious light of the sun, the Lord Jesus Christ, just makes you look wonderful. But you have to continually look inside yourself. Search out yourself. Keep your spirit immersed in the principles of the Word of God. Let that spirit be the guiding light with God's spirit to take you with God's side, not the world's side. Well, we'll hold up there.